ask me why I'm always teasing you. You hate to have me call you pretty baby. Whether you like it or not, there's going to be a big change around here, and it starts tonight. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Queens and Rebels uh, history podcast that happens to talk about women and right off the bat I want to apologize for not uh, putting out an episode last week like expected. I actually was really busy during October because I work full-time and my work required quite a bit of overtime. So the time I had uh, to dedicate towards this podcast was weekends. And it so happened that two weeks ago, it was uh, my and my husband's nine-year anniversary of being together. And then the following week, it was our second wedding anniversary, so we uh, spent the time doing a bit of celebrating. And I apologize if you hear some background noise. My cat just launched himself at the keyboard like he likes to do. (laughs) But at least it's not the work keyboard, so I don't have to worry that he will, like, call my boss on video call or something. Come on, off the keyboard. Okay. Here we go. Uh, So yeah, as I was saying, it uh, was quite busy and to make up for the fact I was late on the episode, I will actually be putting out two in a row. So after this one next weekend, expect a new episode to come out and I will return to my regular uh, scheduled programming of uh, bi-weekly episodes afterwards. Actually, it is Halloween while I'm recording this. I know uh, the podcast itself will come out, uh, the episode itself will come out on Monday, but happy Halloween. Uh, We had quite a bit of kids come through. It was nice weather, so I kind of expected it. We put out some candy outdoors and ran out fairly fast. Uh, So we had to give away our own stash that we kept for ourselves, mainly of coffee crisp. Uh, So when that ran out, uh, we were hiding out in the basement uh, with the lights off. And uh, I went to a haunted walk, which was terrifying. I knew there was going to be actors. And I knew it was going to be scary, but that did not prevent me from screaming so hard. I lost my voice, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, now if you hear rustling in the background, that again is my cat. And he's trying to tear through a plastic bag. Okay, I apologize. This recording is a bit chaotic, uh, but as I was saying, it was fairly scary. And I get why people panic. In scary situations, I often uh, like to judge people for not acting logically. But honestly, I saw a girl dressed like a a zombie or a ghost and she started running at us and our group almost trampled each other. And this is how we acted while knowing it's fake. I will not no longer judge people, okay? I don't want to blab on too much. I'll try to... Uh, catch up a bit with you guys in the next episode. Oh, and um, one last thing, though, before I start. I did get my first haircut since uh, the pandemic started, and it felt so good. It's those little things that I forgot about uh, 
how nice they can make you feel, right? Um, so that was a, a big deal for me, at least. Uh, but as I said, we have a lot of notes to get to, so I'm going to just jump right in. And these are the two final victims of uh, Jack the Ripper. And uh, we are going to start uh, with uh, Kate Adams. Uh, she was barely nine months old when her parents, Catherine and George, boarded a canal boat from Wolverhampton to London. The family of eight comprised from the previously mentioned parents and their six children. As we mentioned, Kate, or Chick as she was called by her family, was the youngest. Nine-year-old Alfred was the oldest, followed by eight-year-old Harriet, seven-year-old Emma, and six-year-old Eliza, and a four-year-old Elizabeth. I'll get back to the story later, but just think about that for a second. Six freaking kids. Pretty much one after another. I think the first were a year apart. Yeah, the first three were a year apart, and that must have been extremely tough possessions in tow, they did not have an option of walking all day for almost a week uh, to get to London because of their small children, nor could they afford a far quicker and more convenient journey by train. The family settled on a barge. This trip would have been crowded and it took two days. Reasons for the move was George's tin man profession. He was considered to be a skilled tradesman that required a seven-year apprenticeship. For George, it was a family trade. He would have started learning this around the age of 14. Wolverhampton was a traditional center of the tin man trade. The workers developed a strong communal identity. Craftsmen and their families worked and lived together on the outskirts of the city, surrounded by the rural landscapes. Basically, it was a tight working-class community. And uh, as the Ukrainian saying goes, the smaller the village, the bigger the gossip. And I think it applies universally, to be honest. <laughs> gossip unites us as people. <laughs> and um, having grown up in a rural community, I can attest that it is a hot commodity to be traded. Okay. I'm sure you can imagine that a kind of a tight working class town that the family grew up in. By the 1820s, the trade was beginning to mechanize, and some factory owners, sensing unrest, eventually agreed to standardize pay. This was achieved by 1842. However, not all owners were agreeable. Um, George's employer, for example, fired 35 employees in uh, retaliation to them demanding better working conditions and trying to unionize. Under the protection of the union, uh, these men that were fired were invited to London. And, of course, their asshole employer, uh, or rather former employer, tried to sue the man claiming violation of the contract. This caused violence and unrest among the workers. George and his brother William were amongst the 35 that walked out uh, in protest and uh, got fired. Technically, the men were in violation of their contract and ended up being arrested. You know, this is scary what greed can do to some people, right? And of course, I'm talking about the employer who was uh, 
against making any concessions to help another human being. Um, he would rather uh, see 35 families go destitute, right? The Edo brothers did not do themselves any favors. They accosted fellow employees uh, who refused to strike. Uh, later, the trial, one of the victims claimed that he barely escaped alive as William Adams was the first to attack him, shouting, I quote, you have your brother or out on strike, you shabby devil, unquote. William ended up uh, leaving his wife Elizabeth behind and went into hiding after the attack, knowing that he will get a harsh uh, punishment. George stayed behind and was sentenced to two months of hard labor. He displayed a certain bravado at the trial, knowing that the Union would take care of his family to a degree, in gratitude for his sacrifice. And the Union did help move the family to London eventually. George paid extra to settle in a green space beside the factory, a better alternative to fume-filled streets in close proximity to the factories themselves. George did make better pay compared to a general laborer. A family half that size would have lived in relative comfort, comfortable working class life. However, lack of accessible birth control is a burden on a family. A societal judgment was only a part of the issue in using birth control, and mostly was lack of education, affordability, and inaccessibility that were the main culprit of large families. Keeping birth control inaccessible obviously perpetuated the cycle of poverty, not only did the parents lack resources to provide for the family of a large size, but due to the lack of resources, children lacked future opportunities. Uh, so you can see how this vicious uh, cycle lasted for generations. And I know this episode is kind of a bummer, so I will try to keep it light uh, next week. But back to what I was talking about, children are strained on finances. I'm sure they're a joy and all that as long as uh, they're wanted. What added uh, to George's and Catherine's uh, family woes uh, were not only the number of children, or, but the fact that wives who previously held down a job had to quit and take care of the house. This meant a less income. Catherine, the mom, worked her way up to a cook in an inn and had to completely give up her career at 18 after matrimony. The working-class married life uh, was far from a genteel picture of a domestic uh, goddess that uh, was the ideal at the time. I keep saying it, but housework was back-breaking. Uh, some to generate a bit of extra income took on uh, side hustles such as laundry, as you can imagine, this constant cycle of giving birth played havoc on women's bodies who would work up until labor and be back on their feet within a couple of days of post-birth, never getting a chance to fully recover. It should be mentioned that the family did not stop having kids at six after moving to London. Soon, six more joined the quick succession for a total of 12. 
by mid 1800s, only 9% of women could not even sign their name. So unsurprisingly, not all of the seven Edo's girls were, illiter were literate. Daughters would often be taken out of school early if they attended at all. Kate did attend school for four years from the age of 10 to 4. By 1855, Kate's mother was diagnosed with consumption and at the age of 42 passed away. The following year, George lost his employment. The family's misfortunes did not stop there. Another year in 1857, the father also started to fall ill. At this point, the second eldest daughter, Emma, took care of all the younger children, including her disabled oldest brother. Before passing away, George saw that the oldest daughter, Elizabeth, got married. This left younger children in care of their older siblings and other family members. Kate ended up going back to Wolverhampton, to live with her aunt and uncle. Although traveling alone to stay with pretty much strangers, Kate still had it better than her two brothers that ended up in a workhouse orphanage. Uh, but better did not mean easier. Kate moved to a region that came to be known as a black country due to its industrial pollution. Charles Dickens describes it as follows, I quote, on every side, and far as the eye could see into the heavy distance, tall chimneys crowding on each other and presenting that endless repetition of the same dull, ugly form, which is the horror of oppressive dreams, poured out their plague of smoke, obscured the light, and made foul the melancholy air." Unquote. You can imagine that feeding an extra child would have been taxing for Kate's relatives. This meant that she had to put up, pull her weight and contribute to the household. On top of household chores, Kate started work as a scorer in one of the factories. Um, this position required six 12-hour working days a week. Scorers using tongs would dip tinware in an oxidized bath. Since they worked beside industrial boilers and vats of acid, work accidents were common and so were burning eyes and raw throats. It was a workplace incident that changed the trajectory of Kate's life. And she did not suffer a horrible work accident or anything like that, but rather she was caught stealing and was dismissed. She was not charged, probably due to her family's good standing in the community, but as you imagine, this caused a lot of embarrassment to her uncle that was a, a part of this tight-knit, gossipy place, and he vouched for his niece to get that job in the first place. So she was sent away this time to a place of her own choosing in Birmingham to stay with another uncle of hers, Tom Addos. Tom was a shoemaker by trade, but occasionally would step into the ring to make money through bare knuckle fighting, a popular sport of the time. Birmingham was also an industrial town and Kate found similar work, this time polishing tin, 
It was expected that Kate would contribute to the household until she can form her own after marriage. To the great shame of her family, this would not be the case. By July of 1862, Kate fell pregnant and moved in with her boyfriend. This was not entirely uncommon, especially amongst the working class couples that would often marry during or after pregnancy or sometimes just cohabitate. However, it was seen as loss of respectability for a woman to do so. Perhaps Thomas Quinn offered Kate an escape from the repetitive drudgery of her life. He lived a fairly adventurous life himself. At the age of 21, Thomas enlisted in the military and was sent to India, where he fell sick and was discharged, but was offered a small pension. It was not enough to live on, so Thomas uh, had to find work, but due to his health, he could not perform heavy labor and took up the, the Chapman trade, meaning he traveled rural communities selling various goods to those who did not have access to store, like ribbons, books, toys, knives. And additionally, he would attend uh, public events like uh, marketplaces and fairs and entertain people through performances. Kate started accompanying Tom, often helping to draw attention to their business by singing songs and performing skits. Tom was not literate, so it was Kate who transcribed his adventures in India to later entertain customers or would jot down his verses. This migratory lifestyle was often romanticized, but the, the reality was not as carefree and romantic. The couple had to hustle to make a living, no matter what weather they traveled through the villages and towns, often begging for a bed at night or sleeping in lodging houses, sometimes just roughing it under the clear skies. This was especially not ideal for a heavily pregnant woman, such as Kate. So like many homeless and pregnant individuals, she turned to the workhouse. By the 1860s, a special maternity ward was set up where naturally only married women were judged as deserving of charity, although it was open for unmarried ones as well. The maternity ward was a preferred alternative to the street, but it was not a pleasant or safe space. You guessed it, a poor hygiene led to disease and high mortality. On April 18, 1863, Kate gave birth to a daughter, Annie. Being transitory with an infant on their hands uh, must have been hard for new parents, and they returned to London, searching for a more stable living. It was the place of Kate's childhood, and she had sisters living in town, while Thomas hoped to earn more recognition as a street performer. The couple had a successful performance and an execution. It happened to be an execution of uh, Kate's relative, actually. But uh, those were big businesses for uh, chapbook sellers that would set up stalls and perform for the public. 
A copy of one of the ballads from Kate's and Thomas's actually survives and it follows the murder of Harriet Cigar and her sweetheart Charles Robinson that happened to be uh, Kate's cousin, I believe. I will not read you the full ballad, but it starts with Come all you feeling Christians, give ear unto my tale. For a cruel murder I was hung and start for its goal. The horrid crime that I have done is shocking for to hear. I murdered one I once did love, Harriet Cigar, my dear. And was concluded with, I quote, May my end a warning be unto all mankind. Think on my unhappy fate and bear me in your mind. Whether you be rich or poor, your friends and sweethearts love, and God will crown your fleeting days with blessings from above. Now we do not know the tune it was sung to, uh, but I imagine it was a real banger. <laughs> uh, also, as an, as an aside, if you think people have morbid interests nowadays with all the true crime fascinations, uh, just think on the fact that people would attend an execution like it was a wholesome community festival with market stalls and food vendors and all. <laughs> Through uh, this murder festival, uh, the couple earned enough uh, profit uh, to try and settle in London. Kate's older sisters, Emma and Elizabeth, uh, led a more traditional existence. After working in domestic service, they married, uh, had kids, and lived near each other in a working-class neighborhood of uh, Clerkenwell. I can only imagine the sisters were scandalized uh, by Kate's migratory life, uh, her unmarried cohabitation, and uh, her wrist too. That's right, Kate was a rebel, and back in those days, a woman's decision to get a tattoo was pretty scandalous. She had uh, Thomas's initials, in case you're wondering. Um, <laughs> um, it wasn't like Chinese uh, characters that, I mean, uh, cashew chicken or something. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, uh, the family's uh, artistic ambitions of living off uh, their uh, poetry and songwriting uh, were uh, quickly dashed. Uh, Thomas took on some uh, more traditional work as a bricklayer's assistant, later heading north to Yorkshire to look for more opportunities. Kate's life was difficult. Uh, she lost her third child, Harriet, to malnutrition. By January 1870, she, along with the kids, entered the Greenwich Union Workhouse. And I talked about the misery of these places in previous episodes, so I will not recount uh, that again. But uh, in short, it was a horrid place, and it had very unkind attitudes uh, towards uh, those who were seeking help. Uh, Annie and the kids uh, would go in and out of workhouses. Uh, by 1876, uh, Kate uh, was back. Uh, she was pregnant with her fourth child and in tow had a two-year-old toddler named Frederick. Kids seven years or older were separated from parents. So the 13-year-old Annie and eight-year-old Thomas were ripped away from their mother and a sibling. The only benefit of this cruel practice uh, was uh, the access to education for the kids uh, that were placed in schools and received uh, some kind of uh, vocational uh, training for the future. Kate's uh, situation was not unique. Female uh, labor was never going to provide enough uh, to earn for the entire family. 
and while men departed in search of work, their families were left penniless. When Thomas was at home, he was violent. At the time, it was fairly common to assume it was the victim's actions that caused the abuse. In Kate's case, her sisters were both horrified by her black eyes and bruises, but hinted uh, that it was Kate's uh, drinking that was the reason behind the beating. Uh, so they basically blamed the victim. It's fairly common to hear, unfortunately, even today. By 1878, uh, Kate broke off a relations with her sisters. She distanced her, herself from the family. The Conway uh, children grew up uh, amongst domestic disputes and poverty. And to make the whole experience more traumatic, the couple would occasionally abandon their younger children. In 1879, the couple took four-year-old Thomas and a six-year-old George out to help them busk her. The boys at some point received instructions to wait for their parents on the street and were abandoned. A week passed before Kate came to collect them from a workhouse, and this would not be a one-off either. Perhaps it was the use of alcohol combined with the volatile home life, but it would make Kate disappear and ditch her kids. By 1881, Kate and Thomas's destructive relationship finally crumbled. Thomas, in an attempt to claim sympathy, said he had to leave Kate due to her drinking. The Eddowes family disputed that account and countered that it was Kate who left since she could no longer stay and his abuse. The kids stayed with Thomas, who had a much higher chance of supporting them financially. Kate turned to her sister Elizabeth for help, but was soon back on the street on account of her drunk and disorderly conduct. She did keep in touch with another sister, Elisa, a widow who either married or started cohabitating with another partner. So Kate stayed close by to her sister Elisa in a DOS house where she met John Kelly, who shared her love of drink. Kate sometimes took on a charring for local Jewish families while John earned an unstable income as an unskilled worker. The family, the Idos family, did not approve of uh, Kate's new man. Uh, all of the sisters and even Kate's older daughter made attempts to distance themselves uh, from the couple on account of uh, their drinking mostly. Uh, Kate and John became dependent on each other for survival. In the summer of 1888, just like during previous summers, the couple left for the countryside to earn some money doing farm work. However, that year the harvest was quite poor and they returned to London in September, quite disappointed. Her last moments were not much different from any other day. She departed uh, from John after drinking together and was seen drunkenly wobbling down the streets at night before most likely deciding to sleep rough on the streets. as She was uh, trying to f uh, meet back up with John, but most likely could not locate him. At 46, uh, she met her brutal end. Uh, John later defended Kate's honor by categorically refusing suggestions that she was a sex worker. 
However, he did use an unfortunate phrasing of walking the streets when referring to tramping or walking around in a search of uh, a place to sleep. When talking about Kate during the coroner's inquest, the press took those words out of context as a proof of uh, Kate's prostitution. And, uh, of course, her drinking and poverty in the eyes of the public made for a salacious story. It was entertainment uh, for, quote-unquote, proper citizens. She was laid to rest by her family, who all came together for the funeral. And a total of 500 people came to pay their respects clearly showing that Kate was more to people than what the newspaper attempted to paint her as. And I'll quote a telegraph. They refer to her as, uh, quote, houseless waif and a penniless prostitute, unquote. Unlike Kate, the final canonical victim of Jake the, Jack the Ripper did engage in sex work. And guess what? They, that did not make her a better or worse person than any of us, Mary Jane Kelly's life prior to her arrival to London cannot be verified. We do not know as much about her bio biographical details as we do about the previous victims. However, out of everyone, I think she drew the most attention on the account of being a verified sex worker who is also uh, good-looking. I guess she provided uh, the most uh, scandal and the most interest. But attempts to look into her backstory were met with dead ends, most likely because she fabricated her own biography in an attempt to have a fresh start. Sometimes she claimed to be a young widow from Ireland who fell in with the bad crowd. Other times she pretended to be a Welsh girl discarded by family. After death, no relation came forward to clarify Mary Jane's identity, but some clues could be gathered as to who she might have been. Mary Jane's landladies commented on her education and respectable manners. Whoever she was, chances are she came from a well-to-do family which could afford to equip her with higher educations um, compared to the working class. She was uh, trained in drawing, for example, uh, something only available to girls who attended fashionable schools for middle and upper middle classes. She also did not have a hint of an accent or a regional dialect. She did not follow the manner of working class speech. This suggested she did a study annunciation and proper, quote unquote, proper uh, speaking in school. And this is another marker of a higher standard of education compared to what was available to working class. Joseph Barnett, a Mary Jane's lover, recounted that she claimed to have stayed in an infirmary in Cardiff where she gave birth to a child from a reunion produced from her deceased husband. 
the records do not corroborate this. Uh, we can speculate that she could have fallen pregnant out of wedlock and was sent away to perhaps discreetly give birth. We do not know what brought Mary Jane to London other than her statement that she fell in with the cousin who led a bad life. And Joseph Barnett never elaborated further uh, what was meant uh, by this. Uh, usually, uh, single women moved uh, to a new city for either a prearranged job or to stay with a relative. Uh, they did not uh, really pick up and uproot their life uh, freely. So perhaps it was possible that Mary was sent to the city to stay with the cousin who herself was engaged uh, in sex work, either as a mistress or a madam or a sex worker. And that's how Mary Jane was introduced to the trade. But at some point around 1883 or 84, she became active on the high-end sex work scene. Wealthy gentlemen would bring well-dressed women to private balls, which later ended up in more adult uh, activities. Her entrance into the upper ranks of sex trade suggested that she had connections in, in that circle, uh, since a woman could not just burst onto the scene without a proper social connections, it was a quite discreet, so you had to know a madam that would vouch for you to uh, the wealthy uh, clientele. Mary took up residence in the middle class part of town. It was not unheard of for a madam to function under the cover of landlady, who would offer their boarders an opportunity to meet gentlemen. Uh, Mary was uh, probably in a similar arrangement. Uh, these arrangements are not that different uh, from modern escort services. A madam would be paid a fee for the permission uh, to take out a young lady to a restaurant or a theater or a ball, a social function, basically. And later, the lady would be uh, compensated for her time and her services. Uh, these uh, glamorous uh, so-called fallen women would often entice new clients by strolling the promenade uh, while impeccably dressed. Uh, Daniel Curvin, a social observer, described the scene as follows, I quote, cheerful, pleasant-looking girls of quiet, fair breeding and of far better taste in dress than the honest wives, unquote. Sometimes women would uh, take strolls along middle-class areas of uh, Piccadilly and Leicester Square, pretending to a window shop while trying to catch uh, the eye of a potential client, uh, maybe uh, lifting the hem of the dress just a little too high, you know, scandalizing <laughs> people. <laughs> Mary Jane uh, was at the peak of her career. Uh, she was in her early 20s. And was described to be very attractive, so she had no shortage of admirers. That's why when a gentleman offered to take her to Paris, this did not arouse much suspicion. This was a common human trafficking tactic. Girls under the rouse of these trips uh, would be forced to work in one of uh, the Brussels brothels. And it would not uh, only be... Uh, more seasoned women like Mary. It would often be uh, very sexually inexperienced, innocent uh, girls that would also 
uh, be tricked under the rose of marriage or uh, work prospects and uh, would end up in uh, these foreign brothels with no connection or knowledge of French. So they would have to resign to their fate. Uh, this appeared to be the scheme that uh, was attempted with Mary Jane, however, partially uh, well, potentially due uh, to her education and some knowledge of French language and partially to being a complete badass, uh, she somehow managed to escape. But this did not mean she was free of danger. An escapee presented a great threat to the traffickers and this threat had to be eliminated basically because they could snitch. So Mary Jane was savvy enough to know that she needs to lay low and this is how she ended up uh, in a less prestigious area of Radcliffe Highway. She was penniless and soon found a landlady slash madam who was happy to arrange dates with sailors that frequented the area. Unlike in the West End where discretion was practiced, Radcliffe women would advertise their trade uh, publicly uh, with little fear of authorities. However, just like at the West End, their job revolved around alcohol consumption. Some savvy sex workers would only pretend to drink while keeping a sober head. This was most likely practiced due to safety reasons. But unsurprisingly, some found it easier to drink through this experience. And Mary Jane uh, was one of those women. Uh, she was described by her madam as lovely when sober, but I quote, quarrelsome and abusive when intoxicated. So eventually the madam dropped Mary due to her substance abuse. She moved to another unlicensed brothel that was more casual when it came to disorderly behavior and appeared to have settled there under the patronship of a new landlady mary jane attempted to reclaim her possessions from the former madam on the west end that was most likely uh, involved in the trafficking scheme this only caused uh, trouble for mary she soon had to hide from a man who claimed to be her father and was very persistent in seeking her out uh, she also did not reclaim the possessions that were most likely sold while uh, she went into hiding uh, she met a young worker who was smitten with mary jane and uh, she did move in with him but the relationship fell apart and mary returned to sex work this time moving to spital fields. She was well liked in the area, described as neat and pleasant, but I cannot imagine after the life she led in West End, Mary was happy walking the streets of Whitechapel. This is where she met a man who would become the main narrator of her mysterious life, Joseph Barnett, a 29-year-old from an Irish family, was smitten with Mary Jane from their very first encounter. The pair moved in together, but they still struggled for money. Joseph could have earned a decent living as a porter, but his drinking habit most likely prevented it. In 1887, Joseph lost his job. This meant that Mary had to take up soliciting once more. The couple started having a lot of arguments and on October 30th, they split up. 
On the 8th of November, Mary Jane was seen in the presence of a man. In the early hours of November 9th, she retired to bed, never to wake again. The only victim to be murdered in her bed, actually. Um, the press, uh, hungry for sensationalism, of course, also widely reported on her murder. And as I mentioned, I think uh, she was uh, the one that uh, they like to focus on due to her openly being a sex worker who is also uh, extremely attractive. Uh, she tantalized people's imaginations. Uh, but in general, the press uh, was hungry for sensationalism. Uh, they never bothered uh, to report on women's biographies, instead uh, fictionalizing or selectively choosing saucy or shocking uh, details. Um, this slum-dwelling and protected women uh, caused a public disgust rather than sympathy. Um, the truth was simple. They were poor, and poverty combined with the social burden placed on women's shoulder made them not only victims of murder, but of harsh attitudes that could not accept a woman's role anything other than a mother and a wife. All those who deviated from a middle-class ideal of womanhood and many working-class people simply could not afford to live that ideal were deemed to be immoral. So poverty was connected to vice, and women had to bear a double standard of participating in any sort of behavior that was deemed bad. Often assumptions were made about uh, these women, uh, since they were already seen as immoral and fallen, uh, they were often connected to sex work, but um, they deserved much better than to be diminished and to be dismissed uh, like that. Especially if you think about the Jack the Ripper is such a big part of our pop culture at this point. Children know who he is. But uh, all we know about these women that they were just prostitutes, right? They did not even warrant a second thought or a sympathy as uh, slain human beings. Uh, so this was an interesting series uh, to do. Of course, this is a conclusion, and I'll talk to you guys next week. I am actually going to head to bed because it's getting quite late, and I am going to be pretty tired at work tomorrow, I can imagine, so lots of coffee for me. And I hope everyone is doing well. I hope you're healthy, you're happy, I will talk to you soon. Bye, everyone.